So welcome back, everybody, to Footnotes with Dr. Tony Caffey. Uh, I'm Adam Castellino. As always, uh, with me is Pastor Tony. It's good to see you again. Hey, Adam. Good to see you, my friend. Yeah, so it's been um, almost two weeks since we started this, or since we did our last episode. Um, we've had a bit of a break, but we're back yeah. uh, in the book of Hebrews. Um, yeah, I've slept, I've slept since then. Yeah. Adam, since the last time I preached, so 10, <laughs> 10 days or so. Yeah, just nice break, give you a little bit of rest, although you really weren't resting. But you preached as well That's last, right. this last Wednesday. That's right. so. I had a chance to be in the pulpit. We're going through the book of James, so that was really a fun and awesome time. So um, we can talk about both if we want. Um, well, I thought you did a great job with James 1. It was encouraging to hear uh, just that exhortation to consider it joy when we're going through trials. Mm-hmm. You know, I heard once that we're either coming out of a trial, going through a trial, or about to go into a trial. <laughs> yeah. you, you made kind of a similar statement yeah. last Wednesday. And, uh, you know, I've struggled with, okay, I'm suffering or I'm going through something difficulty. I, I don't feel very joyful, so yeah. I must be sinful or I must exactly. you know, kind of get that false guilt over that. But I appreciated what you said about the counting it joy. It's mm-hmm. not that we enjoy suffering. We're not masochists. Exactly. exactly. But we can see in the midst of that that God's going to use this for some better purpose. And yeah. he's refining us through that. And that can, even even emotionally, mm-hmm. create joy in our hearts. Yeah. And that's good. So I appreciated your, mm-hmm. your comments on that. Yeah, it's interesting because James doesn't bother explaining why we go through trials. Like, it's your fault, or you did this or that. And I kind of touched on that a little bit, but he simply jumps to the, the what really matters. You know, count it joy because it's a testing of your faith. Good is going to come out of it. Mm-hmm. We want to be like, why is this happening to me? What mm-hmm. wrong thing did I do? Because we think, well, next time, if I'm careful... I won't go through a trial. Like, that's the human nature. We want everything to be easy and perfect in our best mm-hmm. life now, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But James doesn't say that. He's not giving us a formula to avoid trials. He's teaching us that trials can produce something good when God is at work in our life. And that, you know, whether it's a big trial or a small trial, while we're still here on this earth, they're going to be there, as you said. And so that's mm-hmm. the focus. And so it's, it was really, you know, a great passage to sink my teeth into and share with everyone. Good, Adam. Yeah, I've invoked that passage, too, about prayer for wisdom mm-hmm. a lot throughout life and ministry yep. because we I've needed a lot of wisdom, <laughs> yes. Adam, over the years. Absolutely. And, you know, it's just great to have that statement that God is not an ungenerous God. Mm-hmm. He wants to give it to us, and he wants us to rely upon him yep. as well to yep. give it to us. Yep. And so I, I can count, you know, numerous times throughout ministry where I've said, Lord, James 1.5, I need wisdom. Would <laughs> yep. you please help me yep. know how to understand the situation, process it, and act mm-hmm. in a way that would please you? That's right. Yeah, and that's what amazed me. While I was doing the study, of course, I went back to Proverbs and that passage about wisdom crying in the streets. And Solomon creates this really beautiful imagery of like wisdom is like this woman shouting, inviting yep. people, and people ignore it. And it's, it's, that's what's so crazy is that God, this is one of the things God freely gives. He might not freely give you money when, he, when you ask. He'll give you a job and means that you need, but he might not make you a billionaire. But one thing he showers on us is wisdom, but yet so many people just turn their noses up to it. Yeah. To the point where it's like God is screaming, come to me, receive my wisdom, and we don't want it. Yeah. And that's the one thing we need more than anything else. Paul, uh, Solomon says that it's better than gold and silver is wisdom. And that's encouraging. 
You know, we don't have to be like, well, if I ask God this, will he say no? Is he going to be upset? No, he gives it to us generously and that he gives us this entire amazing book full of his wisdom, yeah. um, just ready for us to take. There's Lady Wisdom and then there's Lady Folly, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And she's, Lady Folly is seducing us yep. and the simpleton gets seduced. <sighs> yes. So there, that is a beautiful image there and... A reminder as well that there are forces in this world that are trying to lead us towards, Mm -hmm. you know, God honoring fear of the Lord wisdom and then, you know, pardon my French, stupid stuff. And that's the kind of stuff. Whoa, 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 stupid. Careful now. This is a Christian (laughs) podcast. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's a good that's a good tie in. And and we've talked about in James the links with Proverbs already. I did Mm -hmm. with my intro sermon and. What about the links to Hebrews? We we yeah. got suffering in Hebrews, right? Yep, absolutely. And so, uh, even though the author of Hebrews doesn't say this, the church is suffering. He's trying to tell mm-hmm. them not to go back to their their Judaism of yep. old. At the same time, you know, we can invoke the passage of James and say, mm-hmm. you know, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of trial, consider it joy. God's using that to refine mm-hmm. you and to purify you and yep. to uh, sort out, you know, your your affections even. Yeah. Yeah, and so for those who it's been a week or so, uh, we're looking at uh, Pastor Tony's message, Hebrews 7, verses 11 through 19. It was called A Priest of Perfection and Reconciliation. Um, what's interesting is you start out, you say that this is one of the most Pauline sections of the book of Hebrews. Yeah. I was curious, we know Pauline means written by Paul, but yeah. how would you describe a Pauline passage of the Bible? What would that sound like? What does that look like? Well, when I think of like the, the Reformation doctrine, sola fide, sola gratia, solus Christus, you know, sola dea gloria, those kind of core, uh, you know, ironclad pillars of our mm. faith, most of those are derived from Pauline discourse. And I would, I'll even specify more the Book of Romans. Yeah. You know, I've heard the Book of Romans described as the greatest theological treatise ever written. Yeah. And I think that's right, because yeah. Paul walks us through our shortcomings in terms of our own ability to fulfill the law, to please God on our own. Even if, you know, if we're Gentiles, we can't do enough. If we're Jews fulfilling the law, we can't do enough. He just walks through in chapters one through three, like, you're a sinner, you're a sinner, you're a sinner, you're a sinner. <laughs> you're, you need something better yep. than yourself <clears throat> and the law. And that the presentation there... With this is why people walk people through the Romans road because yeah. it's so clearly stated there. You know, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and yet in the midst of our sinfulness, Christ came and died for us, and we can be saved through Him. So I guess that's what I mean. Yeah. You know, I'm not talking about everything that Paul ever wrote sure. with his 13 letters, mm-hmm. but that specific part yeah. of the argumentation of, you know, Christ is the fulfillment of the law. The law pointed us pointed out our sinfulness. And pointed out our need for Christ. So the law mm-hmm. is good. That's yeah. in Romans quite a bit. Yeah. Um, but still the law is is incomplete or insufficient for mm-hmm. really uh, presenting us perfect in God's sight. So yeah. that's that's the argument as well yeah. in the book of Hebrews here in chapter 7. Yeah, <clears throat> that's absolutely true because um, as we know, the theme or one of the main problems that the writer is confronting are Jewish believers or those who have heard of the gospel a uh, mix of those two groups wanting to revert back to the yeah. law. Yeah. And so they would, so he's warning them the law didn't make anyone perfect. Yeah. The Levitical priesthood wasn't going to provide what Christ has provided. And so this is what he's emphasizing 
in this passage. Um, you said something interesting, and, and I'm bringing it up only because I know there's people out there who are going to be sticklers. Yeah. Because <clears throat> you, you emphasized that the law doesn't make us perfect, and you said it was good, but then you said it wasn't perfect. What would you say to people that will quote Psalm 19, uh, 7, where it says, the law of the Lord is perfect? Yeah. How do we, I mean, perfect is such a loaded word, and people look at it, it can be interpreted in different ways. So how do we how do we reconcile these two thoughts? David said the law was perfect, mm-hmm. and you know it says refining the soul and enlightening the eyes. But then we also acknowledge here in Hebrews that there is a lack of perfection coming from the law. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe to be more precise, the law is not able to perfect us. Okay. Would be yeah. you know if we make it a verb, it is perfect in the sense that it's God's word. It comes from Him. All those. Statements about inerrancy and the, the mm. infallibility of God's word yeah. that applies to His law. Yeah. But you know, again, arguing, taking the arguments from Romans, we can't be presented to God in a perfect state. Or um, actually, more technically, it's it's the reckoning, the being counted as mm. righteous. Yeah. And that accounting, you know, it's almost it's almost like an accounting term where you. You put it on mm. the, the side of the ledger that is, you know, yep. uh, righteous versus unrighteous. That takes place through Christ, not through the law. So the law mm-hmm. doesn't have perfecting power with in terms of making us uh, righteous before God. Only faith in Christ yeah. can do that. And How's that, that? Is that clarifying? Absolutely. And I think, you know, I only bring that up because there's going to be sticklers out there and say, well, David said the law was perfect. And, you know, some would say that you're a bit of a stickler there. At, I, I and Maybe be. me too. I so. can be. I'm very much a stickler <laughs> about many things. So, and it's worth explaining that, you know, perfection can mean, like, just like all words, we've talked about this in the past, means something yeah. different depending on the context. So we look at the context. We make sure we're interpreting it properly. But in the variety of Hebrews says this himself. He says, that perfection was not attainable through the Levitical priesthood. That's why we needed another priest. So he's not afraid of saying this to a group of Jews who love the law. And there was this mindset then, and even now for many unbelieving Jews, and maybe even some Christians in a certain light, that they think if I'm devoted to the law, if I follow every little jot and tittle, every tiny rule, every little thing, Mm -hmm. then God will find me perfect or complete or obedient. And then I'll get the favor I need. And he's just shattering that illusion. Mm -hmm. It's not going to happen. You can't do it yourself. And he also says something interesting, and and you pointed it out, that the Levitical priesthood wasn't sufficient. Mm -hmm. And so there's probably a variety of reasons why. I just wanted to ask you, so what about the Levitical priests wasn't sufficient where Christ was? Well, it was, you know, flawed men. Yep. For one, so they had to offer their sacrifice for themselves before they could for other people. We've dealt with that already in Hebrews. Yeah. They um, they died, yeah. <laughs> you know. Well, so that that indestructible life statement is the contrast. Jesus uh, rose victorious, incorruptible. So, I mean, do you want a priest who died, or do you want yeah. a priest who died and rose from the dead? I mean, yeah. I'll I'll take the latter. Um. There's the forever concept built into the Melchizedekian, um, you know, line or the uh, order. Mm-hmm. Um, so Jesus is a forever priest yeah. instead of a temporal priest. There's, I mean, it, this all of this gets unpacked in the middle of Hebrews. Yeah. Just better, 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 better. 
Better yep. priest, better sacrifice, um, better covenant established than the mm-hmm. Old Testament covenant. And, you know, I don't want to be fast and loose with the perfect language, but mm-hmm. I would say this about the law's perfection. The law is perfect at pointing out our sin. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. And that, and that's, and we need that. Yeah. You know, I need to know I'm a sinner. Yeah. You know, when you share the gospel with some people, you tell them Jesus, you need Jesus. Some people don't even know that. They yeah. don't, they're, why do I need Jesus? Because you're a sin. They, they need yeah. the recognition of their own sinfulness. Yeah. And so some of the better evangelists will actually walk people through, you know, the Ten Commandments. Mm-hmm. And have you fulfilled yeah. the Ten Commandments perfectly throughout your life? Of no. course not. No. Nope. You know, you can't, you can't even get through the first three without <laughs> thinking like, oh my goodness, I'm a yep. sinner. I need help. Yep. And, uh, you know, one, one sin is enough to make you a sinner. You and I know theologically that even before we commit a sin, mm-hmm. we've inherited original yeah. sin, yeah. Romans 5. So the law is perfect at pointing out our sinfulness. It's just not perfect at at making us righteous before a holy and righteous God. And that's why we need Christ. And what's so interesting is that if you look back right now, a few of us are going through, you know, the Bible in a year and we're going through Exodus and setting up the Levitical priesthood. And I think a few days ago, we just read about the golden calf and all that nightmare stuff. And it's like from the very beginning, God establishes the imperfections of this priesthood. Aaron, the high priest, the yeah. first high priest of this line, breaks the rules immediately. And he's Not like, his best moment. Yeah, he's like, well, I'm the one supposed to be leading the people in worship of God, yeah. and I'm allowing them to worship this golden calf. And like you pointed out once, he says, I just threw it in the fire and it popped out a golden calf. <laughs> How does that happen when you need to shape it into a cow? Like he, he, he failed immediately. It was before the law was finalized. And we see throughout the Old Testament, there was Eli and there's... It almost seems like there's more weaknesses of the Levitical priesthood shown sure. in the Old Testament than their strengths. There's some very fine godly priests mentioned throughout the stories, but so often we see their failures, and it's almost as if God was saying, yes, I instituted it, but they're flawed. They can't provide the final, finished work that you need, yeah. as you said. So it's kind of like if you know if you're talking to someone who thinks this like oh no the levitical priesthood you just point out what about Eli what about Aaron what about yeah. uh, the two what was it um, who offered up the wrong kind of fire and God yeah. killed them and so Aaron's son. yeah so it's it's the Hebrews writer's not making this up just to be a bad guy it's right there in the text and that's refreshing to all of the bible god never sugarcoats our flaws yeah. he he makes it so painfully obvious starting with Adam and Eve so that we don't get into our minds this idea that, well, if I follow the rules perfectly, then I could be perfect, just like so-and-so. But no, every person in Scripture, except for Jesus, had their massive flaws. So it's so uh, so amazing. We have this human tendency, even people who aren't Jewish and who aren't familiar with the Old Testament, we, we are attracted to legalism. Yeah. Like, you know... Uh, Give me, give me an analogy, like a, like a bug to a zapper. You know, <laughs> yeah. we just, yeah. we just need the rules, and it, we, there's a self righteousness that comes over us that, oh, I fulfilled the rules, I've satisfied the God. Yeah, and that's a part of every religion of the world. One of, you know, I, I don't agree with everything that Philip Yancey writes, but one of the best books on this is What's So Amazing About Grace, mm. and he walks through uh, just the way in which religiosity is the way that we operate yep. as human beings. We just gravitate to it. Yeah. Do this, don't do that. Even in our modern day world, 
they're they're very legalistic. They're just weird about their yeah. legalism, mm-hmm. you know. Absolutely. You know, if you're intolerant of another person, that's the worst kind of sinfulness, mm-hmm. and you'll get hammered for yep. that. Yep. You know, so we just have this innate desire as human beings to to make a list of do's and don'ts, and mm-hmm. I'm gonna I'm gonna either reckon myself righteous by my ability to achieve some list of do's and don'ts, or appease some other person that I think is highly valued or try to appease God by doing certain good things. And the Christian faith, the way in which it's presented in the New Testament, biblically, I would argue in the Old Testament, is is different. It's qualitatively different from other religions of the world and from that human instinct to do good to appease God. Yeah. You can't do good to earn God's favor. You can only come to Christ who is the 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 great fulfiller of the law anyway. Yeah. And vicariously through him now we can have favor relationship mm-hmm. with God and that's what verse 19 mm-hmm. alludes to. We can draw near to God. Yep. We don't have to be afraid not because of any goodness in and of ourselves but by the the righteousness that's been imputed to us. There's a Pauline mm-hmm. word. Yeah. Through what Christ has done. That's right. And it's, it's so appropriate what you brought up and I think it's worth emphasizing a little bit more for modern people because like christians and even unbelievers who might listen to this hear this and go well i'm not jewish i don't want to go back to the law right why do i care but there is just something about human beings we want to justify ourselves yep. we want to be the one to earn it and it's almost like in every area of our life or just the world there is some kind of legalistic rule set yes. if you want to lose weight eat this don't eat this if you know in athletics if you want to achieve greatness do this do this do this do this you know, in, in my world with working online, there's a million social media hacks and rules. If you want to become <laughs> big, you follow these rules and you're going to have a million followers. All this nonsense and business, it doesn't matter what it is. There is a legalistic set of rules that if you follow it perfectly, if you never mess up, if you could do it right, all your wildest dreams will come true. Yeah. Which I could tell you as a writer, as someone who's pursued a writing career, doesn't always work that way. Mm. And you follow all the perfect rules there are things totally out of your control. Yes. And so we don't like that. We want to be the ones in control. And as Christians, and I, jumping ahead to another question I had, um, we don't feel tempted to go back to the law. We love our pork and we're not, we love dressing the way we want to dress and all shellfish, that. Shellfish, man. Oh, yeah. The beauty of shellfish. Shrimp, lobsters, come on. Yeah. Uh, but we still have fall into this tendency in our own lives, of making up our own set of rules. So what would you say to a Christian who's struggling with this? Because I know some people, and I've struggled with it too, they want to stay faithful to God. You know, it's a sincere desire, but they fall into this trap of, well, if I read enough of the Bible each day, and I pray enough, and I you know, manage my life the right way, you know, doing it biblically, then everything's okay. And inevitably they'll fail, and they get crushed. So how does a Christian, at least, you know, big topic, but like, how would you explain it in our few minutes here? How does a Christian avoid this kind of legalism in their daily life? Yeah. So four words for you. Mm-hmm. Simul justus et peccator. Done. That's it. <laughs> it. What it really is, I think with Christians, it's it's identity confusion. Mm. And, and I'm not going to be too hard on people because I've struggled with that where yeah. you, you know, Satan is actively trying to detach us hmm. uh, from our identity mindset from Christ to what we've done or to what we haven't done, mm-hmm. to our sinfulness, to our guilt. I referenced that with, with the hymn, you know, before the Lamb of yeah. God above. 
And, you know, we, even in the midst of sinfulness and patterns of struggle and failure, we've, we've got to acknowledge, I am a child of God who has been justified, Mm -hmm. even in my sinful state because of what Christ has done for me. And so, you know, using that child of God language, even in my prayers is so valuable. Mm -hmm. You know, I call him father. Why? Because I am a child of God through what Christ has done for me. John 15, Jesus keeps emphasizing there that we have to abide in the vine. He is the, the, sorry, in the branch, you know, and we're, Mm -hmm. uh, the vine and the branches, right? So if, if we detach, uh, even emotionally, then, then we get all out of mm. whack. We've got to stay anchored yeah. to who Christ is and what he's done for us. And that, I mean, that brings so much peace into your heart. It brings so much, I would even say ammunition for fighting sin. Mm. If, yeah. you know, you know your identity, you know who you are, then you're like, let's go take this, you know, city for Jesus. Yeah. Let's conquer Amen. this sin. Mm-hmm. Not in order to earn his favor, but because we are favored. Right. You know, that's... That's more powerful, and I've found it to be more effective in battling with sin mm-hmm. than trying to do it in order yeah. to earn God's favor. You Absolutely. know, once you, when you fail, you, you you when you fall in that, you fall hard because mm-hmm. it's like, man, I'm a failure, I'm a loser, I got you know, mm-hmm. and 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 yet when you fall as a child of God, even as you make mistakes, you can sense like, okay, made a mistake, but you know, this is who I am. I'm gonna get up. I'm gonna. Mm-hmm. Uh, Go go after this again. I, I think I think it's an identity issue. And if we get yeah. that identity right, then we're in a good place. That's great. And then it reminds me that there's certain fundamental principles about the gospel that we should remind ourselves of all the time. You know, like even as we mature in Christ, we don't move away from the fact of our identity, that Christ finished the work, that we are justified by faith, we are children of God. We never leave that foundation. And then when we face those struggles, that's what's anchoring us. That's what encourages us. Um, so you went into something really interesting. Um, when you're talking about Christ, you said there's a sense where Jesus didn't become the high priest until after he was resurrected. Yeah. And it said um, he set up the priesthood by this indestructible life. It's this awesome term yeah. that the writer uses, this indestructible life. It's so awesome. And you told a story about... Um, in the Old Testament, there was a priest who was made a king. Right. In this, in this, it's interesting concept. So I'm sure there's some people who are going like, wait a minute, Jesus was always the priest. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Yeah. Um, what else would you like to elaborate on? I mean, obviously you explained it very well in the sermon, but how else can we wrap our heads around this idea of Christ's priesthood and attaining a certain role? Because it definitely sounds like he he one day achieved it. Like from Psalms, you are yeah. a priest forever. That kind of thing. I don't have a problem with that. I mean, Jesus was eternally the second person of the Trinity. He mm-hmm. was always that. Uh, yeah. From eternity past, before the world was created, he was active in creation, Colossians 1. Mm-hmm. When was the second person of the Trinity called Jesus? Yeah. That really didn't transpire until the incarnation. Yeah. When was he the God-man? That mm-hmm. really didn't take place um you know, until this temporal reality when he Mm -hmm. was born, he was literally born of a virgin into our world. He took on human flesh. So, I mean, I think that's all part and parcel of that, that whole development in terms Mm -hmm. of the, the progress of, of, uh, redemption. Mm -hmm. So when we think about Jesus as our priest interceding on our behalf, 
when when did that transpire? It transpired after the resurrection, mm-hmm. after he had offered the sacrifice, which that was a temp, that was a real event as yep. well that took place at his death. Yeah. And the sacrifice was made. The wrath of God was poured upon him. He cried out, "My God, My God, why have you forsaken me?" God the Father, uh, you know, poured out our sin, our wrath. It was atoned there, and then after the resurrection, he ascended, mm-hmm. and so that that. Uh, that ascension to the right hand of God the Father now, he's interceding on our behalf. Yeah. That hasn't really always been the case. True. I mean, that's that's uh, part of the, the progress of redemption. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that's what I was trying to emphasize is, yeah. is you know, and I don't think we need to uh, freak out about, uh, I'll cover that in Hebrews 11, I think it is, Jesus okay. the same yesterday, today, and oh, forever. Yeah. Yes, Jesus, second mm-hmm. person of the Trinity. He's always been the second person of the Trinity. He's always been God. But there are, in uh, God's plan of redemption, mm-hmm. things that have taken place yeah. where where Jesus, you might even say this, has added even greater glory mm-hmm. to infinite glory. Yeah. You know, wrap your mind around that, Adam, <laughs> as he's now saved us from our sins, been raised from the dead, and uh, yeah. ascended to the right hand of God the Father, interceding on our behalf. Yeah, I think I think that's really helpful because I've heard Christians say, "Well, I understand why Jesus died for us, but why do he need to rise again?" Oh, and yeah. that's one of the many reasons why he needed to rise from the dead. He offered up himself as the sacrifice for our sins, but it was at the resurrection that not only did he prove that he was the Messiah yep. and that he the work is finished, but that he's now our high priest. If he was still dead, he couldn't have be the high priest forever. Yes. So that's a critical, I mean, for those who might be struggling with that, there you go. That's pretty valuable. Yep, and that's Pauline as well in yeah. terms of uh, 1 Corinthians 15. If Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, we're not going to be raised from the dead either. That's right. We might as well just give up hmm. uh, whatever we're doing. You know, why go to church? Why bother with this thing? If Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, then we're, we're to be pitied, I yeah. think is the way Paul yep. puts it. Among all men, yeah. Um, so I had one last thought, and it's not necessarily inherent in the text. It just came to my mind as I was looking over the notes and listening. So Christ is the great high priest. Yes. And he's on our behalf, interceding for us at the right hand of God. How does that factor into, of course, the great Protestant um, message of the priesthood of all believers? Mm-hmm. What, you know, obviously another big topic, but how do those two relate? Because obviously they do relate. Yeah, so if you want to distinguish, you know, you would call Jesus the great high priest. Yeah. Uh, we are not, you know, I, I talked about the difference between the children of God, mm-hmm. a son of God, right. and the son of God. So yeah. I'm not the son of God. Please don't call me that. But I am <laughs> a child of God. Yeah. And similarly, you know, Jesus is our great high priest. And yet, you know, Peter talks about the priesthood of all believers. Mm-hmm. There is um, a way in which not only... Jesus intercedes for us before God the Father, but we can intercede for one another. Mm-hmm. We can we can pray. We can take our requests to the Lord. We can minister on behalf of other people. Uh, we, we just have to be really careful how we... Def- I'm not going to die on the cross as yeah. a sacrifice for somebody's other, someone else's sin. Yeah. as the, the great high priest offering up a better sacrifice. If that's what you think by the priesthood of all be- believers, just forget about that. That mm-hmm. is not the case. Um, but there is a sense in which in the brotherhood of the church, mm-hmm. Christian brothers and sisters, we we have a ministerial duty to one another. Mm-hmm. To pray, to love, to care for, 
to to serve, to use our gifts for edification. And that's actually quite beautiful. And that's why, I mean, that's another reason I don't like the term priest. You know, I know Mm -hmm. Catholics use it, Anglicans use it. Jesus is our great high priest, and then we're all priests. You know, I'm... uh, Quite frankly, my my duty at the church is an elder. I'm a mm-hmm. teaching elder, pastor. Those are my gifts used within the church. First Timothy three. That's the ongoing office of mm-hmm. eldership. Yeah. There's no ongoing office of priesthood for church leadership. Mm-hmm. You know, there's Jesus, and then there's everybody else. So yeah. Yeah. that's how I understand that. Yeah, and it's valuable to think of in one way of of being a witness or evangelism. We are representatives of God to the world. And in that sense, it's a priesthood, so to speak, that the world is alienated from God. They're lost. They don't know God at all. So we have this role to bring that message to them. Yeah. And in a sense, that's kind of a, a figuratively a priesthood. Because then once they believe, then they join the ranks of the of the priesthood. So, yeah. so um, anything else you'd want to add as we wrap this up? No, I'm loving this. Uh... I really am, Adam, and, and I'm just fascinated why the focus on Melchizedek, so mm-hmm. much about Melchizedek, yep. and I keep thinking every time I go to preach, like, you know, have I, have we, you know, maybe got all the way to the bottom of Melchizedek, <laughs> and we haven't even yet. There's no. still more to uh, explore, yep. and even beyond Melchizedek, you know, there's going to be more talk about the priesthood, Christ's sacrifice, the mm-hmm. eternal nature of it. Yeah. So more good stuff to come. And we haven't even gotten to Hebrews 11, which is going to be awesome. Dynamite, yeah. So stay tuned, folks. Yeah. So this has been Footnotes with Dr. Tony Caffey. Uh, thank you, Pastor Tony, for being with us. Um, every episode, of course, as you know, is available at vbvf.org, also on our podcast channel. And we'll see you next time.